Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about soil health on our show today, and, and it's a big topic. I get it. Uh, there are a lot of different directions you can go when you're talking about soil health, whether it be natural microbes or uh, just your crop health and, and how it's going to do out there in general. Um, nutrient balance and, and on and on. And, and certainly if you've got a different take on it or want to go a little different direction, we would take your phone call at 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to be part of the discussion. Otherwise, you can always email us radio at agphd.com as well. Had a great chance here to get really all across the, the great state of South Dakota here the last few days and also spent a bunch of time over in Minnesota uh, last week and just looking at crops and seeing some of the different things coming up. And I think it's an awesome time to be out in corn and soybean fields in the Midwest to evaluate what's going on and were some of the decisions that we made earlier in the season the right ones and how are they playing out and so forth. Just out in some fields looking at disease issues. And this time of year in soybean fields, if you see plants prematurely dying, obviously something's going on there that you want to figure out so next year you don't have the same problem. We're seeing some some old familiar problems out there like sudden death syndrome, brown stem rot. Uh, haven't seen a lot of sclerotinia white mold this year, uh, but I'm sure in areas that have gotten plentiful moisture, that could be an issue too. Uh, but there's some new ones out there like red crown rot. And it's, it's important if you see something different that you say, man, I've never seen anything that looks quite like that before that you work with your local university or extension folks on just identifying for sure what it is. The plant pathology teams at many of these land-grant universities are just fantastic. Um, but you've got to talk to them and say, hey, how do you want this plant brought in? What kind of shape does it need to be in? Uh, what can I do to preserve it so you can make the best determination of what's going on out there? The other thing that we see, too, and I was just in a field that, that some of the plants have been long gone. And now you see a second or a third disease in, and uh, I saw some plants that had some charcoal root rot, and I saw some um, anthracnose setting in already. And I thought, well, wait a second, was this the first problem, or is this just uh, something that happened after the fact of, hey, a main disease came in, did most of the damage, and now these other things are uh, joining in on the party and, and finishing this plant off? Um, so you got to try and be out there on a regular basis. Obviously, we talk about it all the time, and I, I realize in some cases it's easier said than done. But getting out to those fields timely throughout the season, you can say, oh, here's the week that it started turning and why. What kind of weather conditions did I have? What, what was going on that week? Did I make an application of something else out there that could have added some stress, those types of things? So that's going to be really important. Uh, when I was over in Minnesota, one of the talks was tar spot, and it was starting to to grow again. And we saw some tar spot as, gosh, before I think the early part of July, but it didn't really go anywhere. And for the most part, the guys that had had it in the past and had been applying fungicides were able to hold it off, uh, but we're starting to see some late season now starting to blow back up a little bit. It's just really important that, that you're diligent on dealing with a disease like that. Um, I was in a conversation with an agronomist from outside of the tar spot area, and we were talking about sulfur and just the importance of sulfur and having the right amount of every nutrient. But this is one that 
that uh, I think it was coming from him, but it could have partially been my idea as well. That because I think we both agreed on this, that we just aren't getting enough sulfur in general, and we've got pretty decent recommendations as to how much P and K we need, maybe even on the micros. But on sulfur, I don't think anybody's got the greatest handle on that one because much of the trial work that we're doing, and I got into this discussion in, in central South Dakota yesterday, much of the work that's that's been done, the more sulfur guys are putting out, the better the yields. And, and there could be a lot of things going on there of why that is, but we are seeing more sulfur lead to more yield in most cases. And you know, you think about all the free sulfur we got from air pollution and, and acid rain and all these things over the years. How much how much did we really need? And how much were we taking for granted that, well, I added 10 pounds and I got all the yield that I wanted? Well, no. How much did you get from the air? Were you getting 50 pounds? Were you getting 100 pounds? Maybe it's way less than that, but I, I don't really know. I don't know exactly how much we were getting for free. I just know right now we're not getting very much for free, so we've got to apply. And that's something to kind of keep an eye on, too. Uh, when you think about our topic today, soil health, certainly that came into play as well uh, as I was making my uh, pass through these couple of states here the last oh, week or so. And when we think about the soil health, drought conditions were really leading to a lot of the discussion. Uh, there are some areas that we saw some prevent plant because there was so much wetness, but then there were also areas where crops were just burning up. In either extreme, that's really hard on soil life and to try to get something growing in those fields, like where there was prevent plant. I saw a lot of fields where guys were just using tillage and that was it. Let's just keep tilling and keep the weeds down. And I understand not wanting weeds to go to seed, but that's the kind of opportunity where a cover crop can really be valuable. And I know we're going to talk about cover crops just a little bit here today, but giving something for those microbes to feed on is important because I know what happens from, from past experience here. If we've had areas of fields that were flooded out and, and we didn't have anything growing out there, or we tried to keep them black and try to keep the weeds down. Cause you know how much Brian and I hate weeds. Those areas just didn't produce very much the next year until all that soil life got going again. Uh, then we get good production again uh, a year or two later. It's the same thing in drought conditions. If you don't have something growing out there, it, it can be tough that very next year. Now, oftentimes, if you did apply nutrients and, and you had lots of organic matter mineralization uh, throughout the season, you could have a lot of nutrition out there. But you still need some things like mycorrhizal fungi to help bring in phosphorus into those roots. So those will be some of the discussion points that, that we'll get in today as we talk about soil health. Again, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can email us as well, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If we only had 20 words to talk about Ag Biome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about soil health, and this is going to be a great way to start the show. Uh, Case IH has been uh, been a great partner with us for many years. We run a lot of Case IH equipment on the farm, as I'm sure many of you know. Uh, but they've got a great agronomy team, and they do a lot of research. And it's it's interesting when you think about tillage and and impacts on on soil health and compaction and water movement and all those things that are going on in the soil. Uh, so real happy to have Allison Bryan on with us right now with Case IH. Allison, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You know, I think about agronomy and how much I love it and to do research and learn how the practices that we're using on the farm are impacting things in our soil and in our crops. It's it's pretty exciting for me. So I, I'm a little bit jealous of you. You got a great occupation, first of all. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love my job. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky on that aspect. Love the research. Now, when you think about tillage research and soil health, a lot of, a lot of folks and, and probably some uh, folks that will be on later this show, I'm sure, will will say, well, you know, I'd love to be in no-till, and no-till would be great for, for soil health, but is tillage necessarily always a bad thing, or, or is it something where there's kind of a happy medium? That's a, that's a good question. Um, so I really I want to share maybe just more on the conservation tillage side okay. um, as an option. Um, and for, for basically for those growers that – they want to maintain as much residue as possible, but but um, still still may need to incorporate some fertilizer or herbicide or those growers that have problem areas that actually need to be managed with tillage <laughs> or those growers that are in very cold or wet springtime conditions that really have that restricted um, weather window for planting. We, we want to be able to provide options for them, too. So um, Case IH does have our 335VT, which is a vertical tillage tool, and it is equipped or can be equipped <laughs> with AFS Soil Command, which actually allows 
a grower to control that tool from the cab. And so you can change the depth of your tool, the, the crumbler pressure, all from the cab, and you can change it on the go as you're killing in the field. And because of that capability, we're also able to utilize tillage prescriptions. So um, like a variable rate fertilizer application that a, a grower would use, um, that's based off of prescriptions as well, and that have different soil management zones, we can do the same thing with tillage. And so if you have areas that have really heavy traffic um, in, in areas where you might want to zone it out to run deeper, to knock out uh, tire tracks, or areas that have really heavy residue accumulated because they may have yielded a lot more, um, and you may want to run deeper in those areas and incorporate all that additional residue, or um, in that same field, you can have highly erodible areas or, or sloping where you want to maintain as much residue as possible. And in that, you can actually run very shallow. And so, you, you know, clear up to zero inches in depth and just knocking over the residue, uh, but keeping in, con uh, in contact with the soil. So, actually, so for my research, what we found when we ran at zero inches is that we were actually able to increase the residue coverage. And so basically you have this, these stalks or stems um, or stubble um, and you're knocking it over. And so you're increasing the amount of, of stems that are covering the soil surface, but you're still leaving it in contact um, with, with the ground. So that was something that was really uh, promising and, and kind of surprising results that we saw. Um, but basically uh, all that together you can put all that into one prescription, depending on the different areas of your field that may need to be managed differently because everybody has um, obviously lots of differences, It just even within one field. So you can utilize a prescription, you can plug it in. Anybody who goes into that field is going to till it the way that you want it to be done. So it really gives you that peace of mind, especially in areas that are highly erodible, and you want to make sure that they're managed a very specific way, you can have that, that peace of mind. Um, so that's just uh, one of our vertical tillage options. Um, we also have a 435 VT Flex. You know, we're really flexing with that one. <laughs> it's very flexible. Um, it, it actually changes the angle of the blade to change the intensity of the tillage. So you can run true vertical tillage, just slicing and dicing that lowest intensity if you need it to maybe just warm things up in the spring for you. Or you can go clear up to 12 degrees and be more aggressive, doing a little more uh, soil movement and burying. Um, still vertical tillage, um, so it falls within that product definition, but um, is more aggressive. So what's cool about that is you have your 335 VT, which can change intensity by changing the depth. And then you have the 435 that can change the intensity by changing the angle and the depth. So you have just this huge amount of, of uh, options with it and a ton of uh, versatility. And then from a soil perspective side of it, I know that that's very important. Um, uh, there's also preparation for cover crops. Um, a really good option is vertical tillage. And, and KSIH obviously has some different options for you for what you need. You know, there are a lot of things about that, Allison, when, when you look at 
uh, changing the angles of blades and and doing prescriptions mm-hmm. for tillage where uh, having some good research and some good agronomic background is is really helpful for farmers and you don't often like to be the guinea pig so I'm glad you're doing a lot of that work for us so we can see okay how is this actually working uh, when when you see these new new technologies where farmers have more choices more control uh, and in I really like the ability to do prescription because a lot of times the primary operator or maybe on the combine or maybe on the planter and it, it might mm-hmm. end up being that uh, 16 year old kid or maybe it's 85 year old grandpa that still is doing some of your tillage for you to be able to, to set a program for him of hey here's how we're going to do it here's how deep we're going to run and here's the result that we want to get I, I like that a lot but building up all that research uh, how do you do that how do you how do you come up with all the different things here that uh, to find the best recommendations for farmers Oh, for the actual prescription side of it, uh, you'd want to work with your agronomist. You'd want to have different layers from your field. So you have your harvest maps, which would help knowing your different concentrations of residue because higher yields means more residue to manage. Um, Also, that, that combine will also collect the elevation maps as well. And so you can use that for your topography and figuring out where you may want to run things much differently just from that perspective. Um, and then as far as um, my my research plus, I mean, we're just constantly working with growers with different equipment, with different technology, running replica, re- replicated and randomized studies um, in different residues just to get as much data as possible to be able to, to share with the grower and just making sure we're getting the agronomic performance that is expected from us. Yeah, it's a lot more than than most folks would would think that um, equipment manufacturers are working on. But there there definitely is an agronomic fit here, and and a team. It's not not just you, Allison. You got a whole team around oh. you that's that's doing this. Absolutely. Yep. We have we have planter focus, and I'm tillage focus. We also have sprayers and heaters, um, and we're trying to even expand. So yes, we have a whole team working on it, and we. We try to get everybody involved from from the engineer side and even from the marketing side to to get out and and come and play in the field with us. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on, and when we think about soil health, our topic today, uh, tillage is certainly one of those things, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, and you may have variable soils like most mm-hmm. fields I've ever visited in my life. It's not the exact same from one end to the other, so as you want to make adjustments, prescription tillage, the new AFS Soil Command, some great tools for you to get that done. Uh, Allison, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on and kicking off our show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talking soil health here and our phone lines we're going to keep open throughout the show today. If you have a question or you want to join in on the conversation, it's uh, 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can certainly email us as well, radio at agphd.com. I'm going to get uh, into the Ag PhD mailbag here just a little bit later on in the show. So talking soil health today, it's certainly something depending on, uh, well, I should say, It really is important for every crop that you're going to grow, so we'll talk more about that as the show continues. Stay tuned. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. 
Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about a very important topic. If you're a farmer, if you're raising any kind of crop, if you've got a garden, if you've got plants that you care about, soil health is so important and we take it for granted. I I don't know. I can't say it enough. We got Ray Archuleta on. Ray, I, I'm I'm betting that you believe in believe with me that soil health is probably the number one thing in any kind of agriculture. Absolutely, Darren. I appreciate that. I even saw, I even heard some excitement in your tone. That was really cool because I think we both get excited because really, you know what the word health really, really, you know, it really communicates this life. The soil is a living ecosystem and that's why we love the word soil health. Those, those microbes and all those millions of millions of organisms in there are just, and billions are just, it's a living system. That's why I love the word soil health. 
you know, the challenge with, with that living ecosystem is we don't know all the players. And we're, we just are scratching the surface and we feel like, oh, man, I, I hear so many different names of bacteria and fungi and other things in the soil. But there's many more that we don't know. And, and when farmers can't measure things accurately and, and really have a feel for, well, I have exactly this balance of uh, bacteria to fungi, those types of things. I know sometimes they think, ah, oh, I, I don't understand it enough or it's overwhelming, but you got to start somewhere, Ray. So where where do you start with farmers? Where, what are the building blocks to understanding soil health? It's a great question. I keep it simple. You will never understand all the millions of organisms and its beauty and its elegance, but I keep it really simple. If we get farmers to put a living plant, the ancient people used to call the plant the mouth of the soil to feed those organisms. Those organisms will heal themselves, regulate themselves. They do everything. All we've got to do is feed them. That's the number one thing. If I can get farmers to cover the soil and not leave that ground bare at the end of the year, and you're feeding and capturing sun, taking sun, light energy, and turning it into liquid sun and feeding those organisms, which will provide him more nutrients, more nutrient cycling for their crops. It's pretty simple. Let's just feed the beast, feed the living or uh, the living soil. I think that's number one. I think we make it too complex. Let's feed the system. And to try to understand who all the players and all that, you're exactly right. It's just incredibly complex. But one thing I can get farmers to do is Really, really start feeding the soil and be careful with your fertilizers and your chemicals and your salts and everything. Just treat it like it's a living system. And then I think that's the most important thing. You know, when you think about that, if we just keep it simple and just try to raise good plants out there in the field and raise them uh, as many days as we're allowed each year, we're going to get winter where we farm up in South Dakota. But if, if we can, yep. as soon as things start thawing out in the spring, get a crop growing and all the way through the season, get a crop growing and keep a crop growing. Like for us, we do a lot of silage corn, Ray. We we're coming in right away. As soon as that silage is off seeding a cover crop in there. And I know we've got a manure that we want to put back out in the field and all these things, but we want to make sure we're, we're keeping something out there to protect the soil and, and, leave something out there for those microbes. So how, how important is that? I mean, what, when you have a, a year that's tough, and this is certainly one of those years for, for many growers, we've seen a lot of pictures recently of some of the tough drought in certain areas. What do you do in those? I know you can't give up, but uh, what's the strategy when you just aren't getting enough moisture? Well, one of the things, I, if we can leave a skin, the residue, that residue is critical it's, and it's called, scientists call it detritosphere, but I call it skin. Just having that residue is huge. It protects it. And it's interesting when you actually pull the residue aside and you got that skin and you're looking at it, there's aggregation happening. There's this little cottage cheese and it prevents crust. Just having a skin would be absolutely critical. That if I can put a living plant or have a skin uh, residue on top, that is huge. That makes a huge difference so that we don't have the blowing. Think about it. We're still having dust bowl situations. We've been doing this for 87 years with, it, with my agency, and we still don't have that right. And so that's kind of disturbing to me that if we don't put a living plant or a skin, we can't heal some of these problems that we're having uh, globally. 
you know, you mentioned feeding the crop and, and there's, there's a limit there. There's, Hey, we need some food, but overdoing it is a problem too. Uh, are there some things that you watch for? You mentioned salt and I know that's a, a hot button for us too. Uh, is that kind of the number one thing or, or what are you worried about there? Yeah, I do. I do worry about, um, a lot of these fertilizers, which are tools and I'm not against tools is salt index. Microbes don't like a high salt index fertilizer. So um, I try to buy the low salt index fertilizers. I mix it with humic acids. You you have carbon, those are carbon molecules, kind of suppress the the salt index. Um, But also, too, over-application of manure is not a good thing either. I've seen dairies that are applying way, way too much manure. There was one organic farmer applying 80 tons to the acre. That's just too much. It's balance. Nature wants balance, and and that's what I'm saying. I, I whether it's fertilizer, or it's with manure. Careful with tools. I tell people, death by tools. What we're doing is we're killing ourselves and killing our soils, because we're we're not careful with our tools. You know, over fertilizing, over manuring, over spraying, over everything. Careful with it. It's alive. Once you understand that, your soils start getting better, and you start managing the tools more accurately and more correctly. You don't have to buy as many. Yeah, you mentioned humic acid there. We get a lot of questions about humics and, and fulvics, uh, different amino acid type products that are out there as well. Uh, yeah. What do we need to know about those, Ray? I, I know you find them if you analyze soil. You find those being naturally produced by these microbes. Yep, yep, you're exactly right. What The way I look at them is some of these biologicals work some don't. That's why I tell farmers, do your own calibration. Put a zero check, put half rate of that product and a full rate and watch it and observe it. See, we should be doing that with our chemical fertilizers. We should be calibrating our soils. And it's amazing as I go across the country, I ask farmers, how many of you are calibrating your soils? And why that zero check? Zero check shows how much is actually the microbe is producing on their own without the products. And You'd be shocked. Over 99% of the farmers are not calibrating their own soils. And, and, and that's shocking to me. And they're spending copious amounts for biologicals and fertilizers, but yet they won't do the science, their own little science, of putting a zero check for three years. And so that's why I recommend doing a zero check so that you can see these biologicals are working because some companies do a better job than others and make sure it's, they, they actually work. Yeah, we've got great tools to be able to do this, too, to, to keep track of things. And you, you look at all the, the digital tools that record everything we're doing out in the field. To, to be able to leave those checks for multiple years is is something we all should be able to accomplish. But I, I wish my brother was in the studio today because I'd give him a hard time right now. But some of us farm with a brother, Ray, that just has to go, go, go. <laughs> I will say this, though, well, that... The one thing that's really good about it is he doesn't like to push it if the soil conditions aren't fit. And I really appreciate that because I, I wouldn't want to have to have that battle over and over. Oh, yeah. And, I, and now we have new soil tests that are biological tests. So we can combine the old soil tests with new biological tests, ones that like the PLFA, done by Regenetic. They, they do a great job to call phospholipid fatty acid. We can tell the fungal to bacteria ratios. It's really important. Also, the Haney test, which I use a lot so that we can determine, is the soil respiring? Can we pick up the organic gain? Can we give you credit for all those? We have new technology now. 
Hey Ray, your your cell phone is cutting out here on us just a little bit, and I, I guess. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, there you go. Better. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just moved it to my other year here, and I'm parked. But what I'm saying is, we have new soil tests that can give us better indicators of function. It can help farmers become more accurate on how they apply nutrients. Yeah, that is so helpful. When we we can measure stuff, it, it makes it that much easier to manage. And also, when we can look at good areas of the farm and areas that are struggling, it helps us understand just a little bit why. Uh, we got Ray Archuleta with us right now. Ray, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on once again, and, and good luck you're heading towards fall. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. We're talking soil health on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about soil health. Very, very important that we have good, healthy soils out there if we want to raise great crops and keep raising crops for many years to come. Uh, real happy to have Lee Lubers on with us right now. Uh, he is with the Extreme Ag Group and also farms in South Central South Dakota with his brother. Lee, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, probably the most important thing at the end there was farms with his brother. And I, I was thinking about it. Uh, I don't know, Lee. I, I guess are you in a better spot farming with your brother or is it me with my brother? I, mine can kind of get annoying sometimes. I think you've got your hands full there. <laughs> I sure do. I sure do. Well, one thing we do get along on with uh, each other on is, is soil health. And, man, Brian is just He's all bought in now on cover crops, and he's all bought in on some of the things we're doing with microbes and that kind of thing. And uh, it, it takes the research and, and doing these, this trial work. We had Ray Archuleta on. He was saying, man, you got to leave some check strips out there so you know if stuff's making a difference. You guys do a ton of work on your farm and, and look at a lot of products every year. How do you do that? Because some guys say, well, we got so much going on, we don't have time for this. I don't know many busier guys than you and your brother, Lee, and, and you guys find time to get it done. Uh, testing is just critical for us on uh, biological products, especially any way we can amplify so- soil health and plant health. And uh, we know the return is going to be there, so it's it's time well spent. You know, you get some tough weather where you're at with drought and heat almost every year, it seems like. How do you manage through that and, and keep everything going in the soil, even through those tough conditions? Uh, like this summer, we can tell our earthworms are mostly dormant. They, they've just been kind of hunkered down uh, with the heat and the drought. Uh, but all in all, we can still see the benefits of soil health. The longer we have farmed a piece of ground, the better it's handling the drought this year. We can just see visible differences. You know, that is something, too. And I, I was just out at a, on a rented piece of ground that we've got um, earlier today. And I, I think about that. Yeah, it takes time to, to try and improve things out there. Uh, what do you figure when you pick up some new ground? How long do you think it takes to get that system all going? Uh, we figure approximately five years to really get rolling on it. What are some of those key first steps if if we get people listening today that say, okay, I, I got some ground that I don't think my soil health is good, uh, what would be your steps or, or a couple that you'd share at least of, of turning things around? Well, for us, we'll uh, get it as soon as we can leveled out and converted over to no-till. And uh, then we'll start working with like uh, decomposition products on the crop residue to help kickstart things and getting the microbes going and getting the earthworms, giving them a good buffet to get started on and start building those earthworm numbers because essentially anymore there are chisels. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the other thing too. I've had people ask, well, do you have to like put earthworms out there? There are earthworms there, even in some of this tough soil. It seems like you build it and they will come. At least that's been our experience. Would you say the same thing? Absolutely. We, we can see our numbers increasing with time. I know uh, talking to Francis Childs way back when, he would dig a shovel in the ground, flip it over, and see how many earthworms he would see every shovelful. And I, I believe I've heard you talk uh, some of that same lingo about, well, I just have to stick a shovel in the ground, and, and I normally see quite a few earthworms. Do you, is this something that you're monitoring like on a regular basis, or, or what are you really looking for there? 
uh, every time I stick a shovel in the ground, I'm looking to see how many earthworms are <laughs> in that scoop. Yeah, it's kind of neat, and especially, you know, you think about crop rotation too, and I know you guys rotate crops and, and have, have kind of got that down to a science. What are you looking for in that crop rotation? Is it just strictly a grass and then a broadleaf, or, or is there more to it than that? Uh, sometimes on a newer piece of ground, we'll try to uh, hold off on soybeans for a while and work with the higher residue crops to start building just as much organic matter as we can to and then use decomposition products on it to help get things kind of kick-started for the earthworms and the biology. Yeah, certainly a lot of food out there for them. And, and like Ray Archuleta was saying, when plants are the mouth of the soil, if we can have healthy plants and then utilize that residue to, to continue to feed those microbes, it's, it's a good deal. How about with... Uh, just, I know you've got to run equipment on the field to, to plant, to harvest and, and just to manage that field. Do you have guidelines with that? Do you like tracks versus wheels? Are you looking for a certain, uh, pounds per square inch of pressure you're willing to put out there? How, how do you manage it? So you don't end up with compaction challenges. Uh, we try to run the largest tires that we can. And then also there are sometimes if it's a real wet fall, we will, we're not going to be the first guys out there in the field. Or if we look at the weather forecast and it's going to freeze up, uh, then we'll run as hard as we can night and day when it's froze up just to save on soil structure. I know you've got a lot of ground that, that you guys have rented to and have some long-term people that that uh, like working with you. How, how do you do that and how do you relate some of this? Because I'm sure, like you mentioned, we, we may not be the first guys in the field. And there are some landlords I know in our area that they, they say, well, why haven't you got our field in yet? He, you're planting everybody else's stuff. Get our field in next. Do you have anybody that pushes you on that or or do you have to do some education with your landlords too? Yeah, uh, we try to take videos and pictures and uh, and just show them the differences. And then whenever they come out to visit, head to the field. Yeah, seeing is believing. There's no doubt about that. And, and you can't argue with what you've done from a yield standpoint. You've been very successful, uh, especially farming in, in a tough area. But I don't think livestock is a big thing on your farm, is it, Lee? Do you guys have livestock? And, and if so, I, I know um, that, that can create some challenges and also some opportunities. Yeah, we transitioned away from our cattle herd. Uh, but there are, yeah, like you said, there's challenges, but I've also seen people that have been very successful, uh, doing it, incorporating them in on the residue, but they're also watching what they're doing with the soil structure to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, one, one other comment Ray Archuleta had, I guess, was about using fertilizers and, and he said, just be really careful about salt. And he was talking about adding humic acid in at the same time to try to safen things a little bit. What do you think about that? How do you, how do you not overdo it on fertilizer and, and how do you guys manage through salt? I agree with him a thousand percent and uh, we do not apply anything with any more salt than what we absolutely have to and we're big fans of using humic and other things to help buffer anything we can do to help buffer what we're doing to the soil to make it just as easy as we can on the biology yeah that that is true and if if we do consider soil is a living ecosystem and we've got to uh, think about that every time we're making a, a change to it in the field whether it be tillage or or applying fertilizer or even just seeding a crop it, it certainly helps to 
or our overall success. We're talking with Lee Lubers here with Extreme Ag uh, Farms in South Dakota as well. Lee, any last comments you got about soil health? Soil health is a long-term game, but it's definitely worth doing. It's uh, We've seen huge benefits in our operation, and I know other people have been very successful with it. And that's how it's going to get even better for the next generation. Yeah, I love that, that you made the comment, too, the longer we have ground, the better it gets. And, and that's kind of what we're all trying to do here is leave it in better shape than, than what we got it in. Uh, Lee, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate having you. Hey, anytime. Talking soil health on our show today, and Lee brought up a number of good points there that uh, he, he's just looking every time he's out in the field with a shovel at, well, what does stuff look like below the ground? Not just how does my crop look above ground? And and oftentimes many of those answers are, are right below the soil surface if we just do a little bit of digging and a little bit of checking to see what's happening. Um, Sometimes it's good stuff we see down there, and sometimes it's not. And uh, he mentioned it takes about five years on their farm to turn things around with the practices they're using. And I know just uh, just yesterday we were talking with somebody else who was saying they, they figured three to seven, just depending on what, what the assets were around that field and, and what they could do. So the, the key point here is whether it takes three years or five years or seven years, don't think, oh, man, it's just going to change completely overnight for the better, uh, for to turning to turn a few things around and problems out in the field, it's going to take a little bit of time. Just know every decision you make is important. So think about what the the short and long term consequences are as you're making those choices. We're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up here in just a minute. You still have time to get your question into. It's eight four four forty four Ag PhD. In a world. A Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeal Pro Miticide from Valent USA. 
With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are in the Ag PhD mailbag time and uh, got a few questions here. I'm joined by my brother Brian as well. Uh, all right, Brian, uh, first comment question that came in uh, this came from GF. My corn has something that looks like mucus on its brace roots. We've heard this before, and uh, it's actually normally a pretty good thing, right, Brian? Yeah, that could potentially be, and it's not a guarantee, but that could potentially be this um, biological that basically is fixing nitrogen for the plant. Again, you don't know for sure, but... That where we started seeing some of that was down in South America quite a few years ago now. And there are actually some of the biologicals today that are released as nitrogen additives, basically. They will create nitrogen for your corn plant or wheat plant or whatever. And that originally came from that that was found in South America. But, yeah, I, I mean, it is kind of interesting, and maybe that is. So, I don't know. I mean, if you... Now, granted, there aren't a lot of places that can test this, but if you were to test that stuff and have it analyzed and see, okay, what kind of bacteria is it and everything, uh, that would be interesting to know. All right. Thanks for the question, GF. We appreciate that. Got one from Dave up in Michigan. He said, guys, uh, thinking about foliar feeding soybeans, I'm just kind of curious, is there a difference with determinate beans and indeterminate beans in terms of when it's too late to feed? Do we just simply look for when they start senescing or dropping leaves? Or is there a, a physiological sign we should be looking for besides that? Well, if yeah, definitely you do not want to feed when the beans are starting to senesce because that is telling you the leaf isn't going to bring in much. The plant's already starting to cannibalize itself. But to think that, let's say you were two weeks before senesce, to think that a foliar feed at that point is going to deliver much yield, maybe it would. I, I guess I just really question it. So I'd be certainly trying it on a small scale before I'd be doing it on a big scale. But yeah, 
definitely, when the beans start to senesce, I don't care if it's indeterminate or determinate, you're done. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that one, Dave. Uh, get this one in, Brian, a tiling question here from Gary in Ohio. And he said, you guys were talking about keeping tree roots out of tile lines and a lot of things that can be done. But I'm wondering, what about Tordon? Would you worry about Tordon getting into any water that gets into tile lines? Or if I'm near a tree belt, could I put Tordon over those tile mains to try to keep tree roots out of those mains no no do not do that because yes one it would get in your water that's a bad thing two it's not a labeled application three you're going to kill the whole tree and i know it might seem like well there's only a little bit of the root that would get it no pour down lethal to tree so you don't you don't want that getting into your tree even on a small scale so nope i i, I would not do that i mean I, I, I'm glad we get some ideas like this sometimes because you don't you don't really think about it until you do. But, yeah, I, I certainly would never advise you to do that. All right. Well, thanks for the question anyway, Gary. We really appreciate that. I uh, got this one in from Graham, and he said, Guys, I'm up in southern Ontario, and I've been raising corn and soybeans on 22-inch rows here for the last 25 years. And I've been trying to push populations and push fertility over the last five years to help break through a yield plateau. But unfortunately, I'm not getting the response I was hoping for. When I'm running higher populations, 38 to 40,000, uh, what recommendations would you give me on how I could break through this yield plateau? Also curious on corn. Do you like fixed ears when we get into those high population or would you still like the ear to have some flex? So I don't care if it's a flex ear or not a flex ear. I just want whatever is going to yield well, and you're not going to be able to prove that to yourself one way or the other until you test them. As far as what you do at that point, when you're going that high a population, you've got to have fantastic fertility. You can't just get by with even 4% base saturation K or your corn's probably going to fall over. So when you want to push population, you also have to push fertility to feed every plant. Because I realize we as farmers often think about our fertility needs in bushels. In other words, we say, well, I'm raising this many bushels and my crop's going to remove so much fertility. But I want you to turn that around for a second and think about how much fertility does each individual plant need. And if you bump your population and you didn't bump your fertility, that means each plant is getting less than it had before. So yeah, potassium's number one for me for sure. I'd also, but I mean, you got to look at everything. So when you say, all right, what could my yield limiting factor be? Well, that's wide open. We're going to talk to you about drainage, weed control, fertility, diseases, insects, compaction. I mean, it, 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 it's everything. And without really evaluating it with you, and since I've never been to your farm before, it's hard for me to say what that is exactly, but I mean, that's always our challenge as farmers and as agronomists, we've got to figure out what's the yield limiting factor and what can we do to make more money and get more yield on our farms. Yeah. I want to see, you know, perfect weed, insect and disease control. And then I want to see a soil sample and just 
see where we can go with this fertility piece. I, I don't think super high populations are the answer. Uh, you can certainly get over 300 bushel corn with 30,000 population or even less. You don't need 40 to make that happen. So uh, I think we may be over. Wait, with what population or less? 30,000. 30? Yes. That'd be 10 well, bushels it's per thousand. Possible. It's possible. Oh, it's not only possible. It happens I, all the time. 40,000 no, population isn't needed. No what? way. Well, it does not there, happen all Yeah, the there isn't a lot of 300 bushel well, corn. Yeah, I know. That's my point. So you, you've got to have a decent population. You start going below 30,000 expecting 300 bushel corn, you're, that's, that's pushing it. So the 300 bushel corn we've raised, the little bit of it we have on our farm, it's been 34, 36,000 population, something like that. But yeah, to your point, you don't have to have 40. I agree with that. Well, and you do have to look at each plant and, and play around with those populations a little bit. Have some check strips out there, Graham, and just see, because some years a little more population is going to be a good thing, some years a little less, depending on what you have for moisture and what you have for nutrients. But when you're increasing population and you're seeing your stock diameter decrease, that's a red flag to me that, ooh, I, I may be upping my fertility, but maybe I need to up it a little bit more if I'm going to go with those high pops. Uh, it, it, we talk a lot about, well, here's how many pounds of fertilizer you need for a certain yield goal. But if you're going to do that with more stocks out there, oftentimes those stocks get to be, I mean, there's less food for each stock. So the stocks get thinner and it could lead to some challenges that way too with wind and other things. So do, do be careful about that. And man, we would love to see your soil tests and, and see if we could find something on there that you might target some dollars one way or the other. Hey, thanks for the, the question. I know uh, breaking through yield levels or your yield barriers is, is not easy. Yeah, if we can help you, we'd sure love to. Uh, Brian, I had a couple of comments here about monarch butterflies and milkweed. seems like any time we talk about milkweed as a weed of the week, and I'm pretty sure that we said we're talking about out in fields. We could care less about milkweeds around a lake or in a ditch or, uh, you know what I mean, in a, in a grassy area somewhere or definitely in people's yards and landscaping and that kind of thing. And there's tons of milkweeds in those areas. Uh, but I know Jeanette and Mark both said, man, we need these for monarch butterflies that are in decline. Uh, any comment on that? Uh, I know, I don't know if it's just a misunderstanding or, or if you'd handle it a little different. Well, sure. On, on our show, we're not politically correct. I don't really care. I, I, I mean, I just say with the monarch butterfly, I, I, my job is to raise crops to help feed our world, and I got to make enough money so I can survive from year to year. And if milkweed's a weed that's hurting my yield, then, I mean, my first thought is I got to feed my family before I'm worried about the monarch butterfly. There are plenty of people out there who are concerned about monarch butterflies, and they can plant plenty of milkweeds. And, yeah, I mean, I still see lots of milkweeds around, so I, I guess I'm, I'm just not that worried about it. And I know that's not the politically correct way to approach it, but I don't care. i got to kill a weed, and it's a weed in my field. It's hurting my yield and my income. Yeah, weed's just a plant uh, growing in the wrong spot, and we're not trying to kill uh, every one of them out there for sure. Well, before we go today, I'd like to invite you to continue to listen after our show for a special Shark Farmer show. Uh, for those who listen to our friends Rob and Emily Sharkey, you may know they suffered an unimaginable and terrible loss. Rob's going to talk about that uh, on his program today, so stay tuned. Uh, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. <music>